announcement about campaign and uh, want to just fill you in. We've, some of us have been sort of putting this all together over a while and I want to kind of let you know. You, you see the chairs that you're sitting on? Uh, well, that's a big part of what we're talking about. We go ahead to the next slide. Um, so here's the need and here's the vision. Uh, this is actually something we've talked about for about three years or so. Um, before COVID happened, we said, um, you know, if we, if we have a project to do around here, it's probably to get some more permanent seating. Now, these chairs we've had for about 11 years since the building opened, and they've served us really quite well. I don't think anyone imagined that they would last for us this long. Um, and I know there's a lot of good things about them. They have worked well. They're very portable. They're easy to move around, all of those things. And yet, uh, there's, they've been insufficient in other ways. Um, I know that they're not, uh, they're not good for some people with back problems. There's other people that find them quite uncomfortable uh, sitting through even a sermon, um, those sorts of things. And I, we just know that they're not adequate. And so we've been trying to figure out what to do about that for some time. Now, when COVID hit, we actually, we had been talking about that as a project to do. And uh, unfortunately, what happened during COVID was the price doubled uh, because of production. And so at that time, we just decided it just wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth pursuing that any further. And we did some other projects instead and uh, have let that one kind of sit. And I kind of thought, well, maybe we'll just leave it for a while. But I, I think what I've been hearing more and more is this is actually more of an issue than I want it to be. And we need to address it. We need to take care of it because it's a need for people. And, and the reason it's important is because we want to be um, a place that is welcoming and opening to people, where something as simple as chairs isn't a distraction from Jesus. Because I tell you what, I don't care about chairs, but I care about Jesus. And I want to make sure that whatever we do here in this place is hospitable for people and for all of you to be able to encounter the presence of Jesus. So that's my vision for this place, is that it's a welcoming place to experience the presence of Jesus, where something as simple as chairs doesn't distract us from that. And it's a place where I hope that we'll have seats for everyone that wants to come and hear about Jesus. And, but also, it's beyond just the chairs that are here. It's about some hospitality areas. One of the other uh, aspects of seating that we've talked about is just that when you come in here, if, if you're part of a small group or something during the week, um, there's not, you know, you sort of pull together some chairs, and that's fine. That's great. But it would be nice if there was maybe a little bit more uh, hospitable space. And so we've talked about this corner here, having some seating, maybe some, you know, one of those uh, sectional couches or a couple even so that people could gather in that space for a, a meeting or a prayer time or even after a service. If there's someone that's really needing some time just to sit and talk with me or one of our elders, that they could go over there and find some prayer. It might be good for some kids even during the services that need a little bit of a different kind of space, but they can be part of the sanctuary during the worship time. So we've talked about hospitality areas there, but also around this upstairs as John is getting going, we're talking about various needs we have for just hospitality. How do we do our coffee station well? How do we do information well? How do we help welcome people when they arrive in the, in the building? How do we help check in kids, which is, a, is something we're starting to plan for, for security for our kids program? So there's a number of things that we're doing, and we want to make sure that throughout this upper level especially, that our hospitality areas are well uh, set up. So uh, our main focus during this campaign, the need that we have is to address this adequate seating. Yes, these chairs, but also some of the other hospitality areas around the building. So that's the need and that's the vision. Let me show uh, you the next slide. Let me talk about the cost and giving. 
So uh, the, the cost for the chairs here alone is just north of $11,000, but with all the other things, we think the cost would be about $16,000. And um, what I'm saying about that when I talk about giving is I want you to consider this as an above and beyond request. What I mean by that is I don't want you to steal from your regular giving and just say, oh, well, this is for the chairs now, because that doesn't help us. We still have to, you know, pay for the lights, and we still have to pay for the heat, and you know, all those things that happen. Life doesn't stop because we want to get something extra. So I want you to consider this as an above and beyond request, but I also mean by that, if you're not giving on a regular basis, then this really isn't kind of for you. I'm not asking you to give if you aren't in the habit of giving. I don't want you to see this as a burdensome request. This is for people who call this place home, that are involved in it, that take ownership over it, and by that I mean people who do that on a regular basis. And so I'm asking you, if you call this place home, to consider this as an above and beyond request. We have quite a few uh, new expenses this year, um, and we, uh, one, uh, the best one, the best one possible is John. And I'm, I'm not highlighting just John in a way that, uh, you know, it's, it's not all on him, we are doing all kinds of new things because there's all kinds of new people here. And our costs are increasing, especially over the next two years as we take on uh, the cost of another staff member and all these other ministries that we're beginning. And what I'm asking you every year is to consider how you can be part of that with regular giving. And so I don't want you to, to say, well, I'm just going to give to the chairs, but I'm not going to give to regular because that, that doesn't help us but if this is something you consider going above and beyond. So here's what I'd ask you to think about if you're willing to go above and beyond. Would you consider giving a chair leg? Okay, so for some of you, that's, that's enough. That's a stretch for you. So the cost of a chair is about $106 with tax and shipping all in, okay? So if you could give $27 for one chair leg, that'd be great. Maybe you can give $106 to cover the whole cost of a chair. Maybe, maybe you can consider covering uh, chairs for your household, whether you're one person, whether you're four. I know that might be a big request, but for some of you, you'd say gladly, gladly. But I'd also like you to think beyond just taking care of us, taking care of ourselves. How can we think about preparing this as a place for hospitality where people encounter Jesus, for people who aren't here now? This isn't about just looking after us and making sure we're comfortable when you're sitting through a boring sermon. This is about taking care and preparing a place where we can invite people. You imagine what that might feel like. You say to a friend, hi, I want to invite you to my church. I saved a seat for you. I bought this chair just for you, you know? I want you to think about this as something beyond us that is about creating a space of hospitality where Jesus can be encountered. And pray for those who you can invite to have a seat. This isn't just about making ourselves comfortable. The next slide. So you can help by, one, just giving regularly on an ongoing basis. If you're not already doing that, don't start with this campaign. I mean, you're welcome to. I'm not going to know. But I would rather you consider giving on an ongoing basis. Even if it's $5 a week or $10, the amount is not important. What's important is here that we're developing within ourselves a trust in God that we're willing to honor God with the things he's honored us with. 
okay? We don't do this to serve ourselves with chairs. We don't do our, this to serve, you know, me or some other thing that's going on. We do this to honor God, to worship him, to trust him. And if you haven't figured out that yet, just work on that. And if you're doing that and you realize, you know, maybe I can trust God more with what I have, do that. Just figure out how to give on an ongoing basis as a posture of worship within your own heart. Next, consider if you can go above and beyond. Consider if you can go above and beyond what that regular giving is. It doesn't have to be a lot. It could be uh, very little. It could be a lot. But consider if you can go above and beyond. Maybe it's a chair leg. Maybe it's a chair. Maybe it's multiple chairs. And if you want to give, you can designate your giving to Stratford's special capital. Now, that's very important because if you don't designate it that way, it won't be in that fund, okay? So it's now live on PushPay. If you give that way, you can give to this through the PushPay options. You can use the envelope system here to just write on it, Stratford Special Capital, and that'll be counted in the fund. Or you can use that with an e-transfer. Just mention that in the memo. Any of those ways, you can easily designate that. And I'd like you to do it in May. Now, it can come in really any time if you say, well, I'm not going to have the money till June. Okay, fine. But we're tr we would like to be able to put in an order by the end of the month. And if in two weeks' time we have $16,000, we're just going to say it's closed. Don't want your money. Give it to ongoing regular expenses. I'm not trying to get any more than that. If we do have extra, if we do have extra before we notice, that will just be used for those purposes that I mentioned, okay? Um, and if it's a lot extra, we'll come back to you and let you know that. Um, but let's just see if we can hit the target. <laughs> I'd like to see this happen in May if we possibly can. And then just pray for those who come. Again, I want, this, I want us to not think about this as taking care of ourselves, but taking care of uh, this as a place for hospitality to encounter the person of Jesus. So pray for those who will come and fill the seats. Listen, you, you might not realize it. You look around the room and you think, oh, you know, it's not a full service. There have been over 130 people attending each week here in Stratford for the past month. To give you some frame of reference, when I started four years ago, it was 75. When we started even in the fall back a while ago, just this past fall, like six, eight months ago, it was only around 90. We have been growing and expanding and we want to be a place that is welcoming to whoever comes. And so that's what we're on about. That's what we're doing. We can't even all fit into one service anymore, believe it or not. So that's, that's where we're at. That's what I'm asking you to consider. If you have questions, by all means, let me know. Or you can speak to one of our elders or someone else that looks like they know what they're talking about, and then they can send you to me. But uh, we'd love just to have you consider that. Um, and, and again, feel no obligation, no pressure but just consider if this is something the Lord would have you do. All right, with that said, let's get into Colossians again. We are on week three of our Colossians series, and uh, let's get into the, the verses here. What we heard Deborah read uh, was a passage now where Paul is speaking of himself personally. Now, you'll remember that this letter of Colossians was written to the people of Colossae by Paul and Timothy, but most of the voice that we hear is Paul's. It's probably that Timothy is working as the secretary or contributing his own writing. Maybe he's fleshing out the notes that Paul had. Uh, but in any case, it's now Paul's voice that we hear speaking about who he is and how he serves the church. And remember that he does not know personally the people in Colossae. 
He didn't start the church, uh, and he's never visited them before. So he's been building this case for them that they need to learn to rely on Jesus Christ above everything else. Not to allow the influences of the world to overtake them, not to give in to the cultural pressures to believe different ideologies, not to just start with Jesus and then move on to deeper things, more secret things, but no, Paul, Timothy together write, Christ above all. Christ is sufficient for everything. Christ is all that we need. And we don't go on from Christ, we go into Christ deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's what it means to grow in maturity and life in our faith. And now, as Paul has been describing, last week we began this incredible uh, look at at, uh, how he, he pictures this vivid portrait of Jesus Christ and what Christ has accomplished for us, who he is for us, and how he's invited us to be part of the new creation because of what Christ has done on the cross. And now he begins to talk more personally. He begins to reflect on who Christ is and how that impacts his life and how he lives it out as a servant of Jesus. And in this section that we're going to look at today, which really spans the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, we see kind of three themes that Paul is speaking to from his own life. One, he addresses his suffering and his struggle. He has not had an easy time in doing this ministry and sharing the good news of Jesus. And he wants to explain that to them so that they understand who he is for them, even though they don't really know him personally. And then he talks about his secret. Like, you know, it's like, Paul, what's your secret? How are you doing this? Why are you doing this? So he talks about his secret. He talks about his purpose. And then he talks about his source of power as he's gone through great struggle, as he's gone through great suffering. What has enabled him to keep going? And maybe today, you come in today, uh, some of you are experiencing some sort of struggle. You feel very keenly the sense of suffering in your own life, or you're observing someone close to you who is. And the weight of that, it it burdens you. If so, you will, uh, I hope, find solace in the words of Paul as he points us to Christ in the midst of this. What is his secret? What is his purpose in the midst of that type of suffering? What is his source of power? And that can be ours today as well. So let's begin with the verses of Scripture. Now, I'm, I'm doubling back a verse that we, we were in last week, but it just begins the context of this next section. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. That kind of language should grab our ear. He is glad when he suffers. Uh, By show of hands, how many of you are glad when you suffer? Nobody. Peter. Oh, okay. (laughs) Not many of us are glad when we suffer. Not many of us would say that we experience joy in those moments. That's pretty understandable. Some of us would recognize that, you know, when we are in the midst of growth, there are growing pains, and we'd say, okay, 
I can see some redemptive value of my suffering. Somehow it's producing something better, something new. Some of us can sense that. It's not exactly what Paul is talking about here, though. Let's dig into it. So he says, the good news, nope, let's stay on that side for a while. The good news has been preached all over the world. I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So his job is to get the good news out. There's uh, lots included within the good news, but one of the short-form ways of articulating it that I've been saying is, the good news is that Jesus, the true king, has defeated death and is leading his followers in the way to eternal life. So that's the news that ripples out after the death and then resurrection of Jesus. It changes everything. That decisive event changes everything. It changes Paul's life. He's become a new person entirely. And now he's going around the world, uh, or his part of the world in any case, to proclaim the good news. But he says this, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my bodies, for I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. In fact, some of the translations word it almost as if uh, the suffering of Jesus is incomplete that what Jesus did was not enough. Now, that would be the wrong way to read that because Paul has just spent multiple verses explaining how Jesus is entirely sufficient for all things. So what's he saying? Well, uh, N.T. Wright explains it this way with a vivid image. N.T. Wright says, um, and this is an image that we can appreciate perhaps after Fiona and the winds we've seen and the tree damage. He describes a scenario where there are tall oaks and young saplings in a forest. And when the strong winds come, the tall oaks take the brunt of the wind, the brunt of the force. And the saplings are able to grow and thrive and continue. Whereas if the tall oaks were not there, the saplings might be flattened. What N.T. Wright is suggesting is that Paul is here describing how even though they don't realize it, he's taking some hits for them. He's struggling and he's suffering for their benefit. They may not recognize uh, what he's done because they don't know him. And yet everywhere around the world that Paul has gone, he is being persecuted, beaten, he's in prison right now as he's writing. Sharing in the suffering of Christ. Now, what does that mean? Well, if our desire is to be like Jesus and to be in Christ, that means that not only will we experience the goodness of that, but that our lives will be shaped by the life of Jesus in every way, including the suffering of Jesus. Just as Jesus' life included good things and joy and blessing, Jesus' life included sacrificial giving of his own life. And there will be moments in our lives, if we are shaped after the life of Jesus, where we will need to give sacrificially for the sake of others, for the sake of the church, to build up what Jesus is doing in the world. It's not that Jesus has done something that isn't enough, but it's that suffering will keep on going in this world until it is entirely made new. And for some of us, we need to take the hits. We need to take the place of leadership so that others, others can simply live, can begin to hear, begin to grow, to thrive with the little that they have, 
that we take on the burden so that they can flourish. What Paul is saying here is, whether you realize it or not, I've been taking the hits, I've been bearing the weight, I've been dealing with the suffering that comes in the life of Jesus so that you can grow and reach a place of maturity yourself. And then you will be the tall oaks that take the hits, that take the brunt of the wind to protect those who are younger and weaker than you. It's true in almost any organization. It's not simply a church sort of principle. But often what happens in any organization is that about 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You ever heard that sort of idea, that sort of thing? And it's common in any type of organization that there's a small group of people that take the brunt of the work, that take the force, that take the hard knocks so that the others can benefit. But it's especially true in the life of the church. You know, for those of us who are in leadership here, if you're one of our leaders, one of our volunteers, you know what it's like sometimes to take the hard knocks, to keep things going, to keep things on the rails, to meet with people when it's hard, to be accused of things that aren't true sometimes, to be criticized because someone doesn't like how you said something or what you did. I've been doing this for over 25 years. I've taken some knocks along the way. I have been the oak bending in the wind so that others could grow up underneath me. And it's not that I've always done it right. Some of those things I have well-earned criticism for. But as a leader, and for those of you who are leaders, we stand up to protect those who are weaker, who are younger, who are growing in maturity, so that they can become more and more fully complete the the likeness of Jesus themselves. So I want to encourage you, if you are struggling, if you're weary, if you're tired, don't give up. And Paul is about to encourage us with what keeps him going when it's difficult. But he says, I'm glad when I suffer because that means I'm protecting you and helping you in what you need to stand strong. I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ. My life is being shaped like the life of Jesus. I'm giving myself sacrificially for your benefit so that this would continue for his body, the church. So Paul says, whether you realize or not, I'm here for you, and I'm making it possible for you to thrive. So he's talked about his suffering. He's talked about his struggle. Let's begin to go further. Next, he says this. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. What's he saying here? He says, I am all about this. I have this responsibility, and I'm going to follow it through. And I've been holding on to this secret, but now it's time for it to be made known. This has been secret for centuries. Now, remember how that might hear, and that might sound to their ear. Uh, these are people that are in a culture where um, the Gnostic ideology loves secret knowledge. And they say this, the Gnostics, they were all about pursuing secret knowledge, getting a hold of that, 
so that you could, you could live this life more fully. And now he's saying, oh, you want a secret? I got a secret for you. But he says, but it's being made known. It's not meant to be a secret. It's going out everywhere. And it's not just for the Jewish people. For centuries, our ancestors have believed that they were special and they were unique. But from the very beginning, God said to them, I am going to make you a people to bear witness to the world. And so now that moment has come where they are, as a people, through them, the Messiah has been revealed, and they are going to make that known to the world. And now the Gentiles aren't excluded. They're included in what's happening. By the way, unless you have Jewish blood in you, you're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. And that means we wouldn't even be part of a church if this hadn't been extended to us as well. And what's the secret? What's the good news for us that we need to get out? It's that Christ, the power of God, can live in you. When you face suffering, when you struggle, you don't have to wonder if God is near. He is present with you. We've sung about the presence of God in the fire. And today we're hearing even better. He's not just beside you. The power of Christ can live within you. And that's a secret worth knowing. That's a secret worth getting out. That's a secret that we are about as a church sharing with the world. That Jesus wants to intimately know you. That you might know life forevermore. God wanted us to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for us. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. And when you have that knowledge that Christ lives in you, it gives you an assurance of sharing his glory. Because yes, if the shape of Christ's life is one of goodness, but also suffering, and we live ourselves in the pattern of Christ, we will experience goodness, but also suffering, and yes, ultimate glory. Because that is where the life of Christ is ultimately found. In glory for eternity. So yes, in this world, we will be shaped by the person of Christ in goodness and in suffering, but ultimately glory. And we can be assured of that. We can have confidence of that because he's in us. He knows everything about us. And so that's the secret that Paul keeps going with. And then on the next slide, we see this. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Here we see that his purpose is to grow up and mature the church. He doesn't know them personally, but that's his purpose even from a distance. That's why he's writing to them. That's why he's been encouraging them through other leaders. Because he wants to present them to God, perfect in the relationship to Christ. He wants them to grow up and be mature. He wants them to grow from little saplings into strong, tall oaks. And this is why he keeps working so hard, struggling, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. He says, it's not that I just have to muster up some kind of strength. It's not that I just have to buckle down and endure. 
The thing that keeps me going, the thing that gets me through the hard days, isn't my determination. It's the power of Christ that's intimately inside of me. The living God realized within me and through me by the way that I live. That is what makes the difference, Paul writes. I'm depending on Christ's mighty power working within me. This is what Paul is all about. It's not just simply that he wants us to grow up from saplings and to become oaks. He wants us to be seen and formed into the fullness of Jesus. And that will only come if we learn how to endure suffering with sacrificial giving ourselves. Allowing our lives to be shaped by those difficult moments and driven more deeply into the heart of Jesus. One of the things I remember hearing about uh, some time ago was how wind is actually good for plants and trees as they grow, most of them. I, again, I am not a gardener. <laughs> Norma starts nodding right away. She, she's, she's got that message loud and clear previously. I, I don't know a lot about plants, but what I'm told is this. If they never experience the shaking of the wind, their roots don't go deep and strong. They become brittle and inflexible. And if a wind does come along, they easily fall. But if they take the brunt of the wind little by little as they grow, they learn to grow deeper and stronger and find rootedness and strength to endure. Paul knows that suffering can help us grow, that suffering shapes us into the likeness of Jesus, and that when we suffer with a purpose, when we suffer with a willingness to sacrifice for others so that the good news of Jesus can be made known, then that can make a huge difference for them and for the world. Now, I'm not going to use this as a moment to ask you to volunteer for something, but I do want you to think about what it might mean for you to give yourself, to stand as a mighty oak so the saplings can grow. Could that be serving in the children's ministry? Could that be organizing something? Could it be that you, like Paul, will do something so behind the scenes no one even knows you're doing it? Could it be through a work of prayer? Some of you say, well, there's not much I can do with my knees the way they are. I can't get down. I don't. Can you bend down on your knees and pray? Can you pray lying down? How can you be part of the work of Jesus wherever you are in your world, wherever you are in your life? Distance is not a barrier to the work of Jesus. Limitations are not a barrier to the work of Jesus. His work thrives even in suffering. And so we as people can see the model and example of Paul and see what it calls us to. To leadership. To be willing to stand and take some of the hits. To take the force of the wind that comes against the church. To be willing to give of ourselves in sacrifice so that others could grow and thrive in the maturity of Christ and His likeness. Paul goes on here. And he sort of really re-articulates the same thing. This is not uncommon in this type of writing, but I want you to hear those same kind of three themes 
present themselves again in this next section. I'm not going to spend as much time on it, but I want you to hear it. He says, I want you to know how much I've agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who've never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him, in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this. So no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. I'm telling you this because I don't want the strong winds to knock you down. I'm telling you because I don't want you to get discouraged when suffering comes. I'm telling you because I don't want you to be tricked into believing that suffering is an indication that God has forgotten you. I'm telling you because I don't want you to think that your life will always be good if you're following God. I'm telling you because I don't want you to think that it will always be blessed and only blessed if you're in the will of God. I'm telling you because I want you to see reality as it is and to know that suffering is part of the shape of Christ's life, but also, in the end, that there's glory. And when we trust in Jesus, He will make us whole. He will, bend the, he will shape the broken places into wholeness. He will give us life and nourishment and strength because He within us is our source of life. So we trust in him on the good days and on the bad and for the days yet to come. And so I want to just take you to this closing slide now and look at those things that Paul has written that you might reflect on them for your own life now. Are you participating in the sufferings of Christ? Are you seeing the suffering in your life as something that is driving you away from Jesus? Or is it somehow a way that you recognize he is close to you and part of your life and you're being shaped after him? Is suffering making you think that God is nowhere close? Or do you see that there is a redemptive element to it? Are you allowing yourself to enter into difficult spaces to be challenged to serve? To be willing to suffer because you're serving? Or are you trying to play it comfortable and play it safe? Are you participating in the sufferings of Christ? When you are suffering, and when you are going through your day, good or bad, are you aware that Christ lives in you if you are one of his followers? Are you living as if he is that close to you? Do you recognize he's as close as the whisper of his name? He has not forgotten you. He is present. He is near. Are you aware of that's the secret that will get you through. And I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Are you working? Are you serving? Are you doing what you can in your own way, with your own gifts and your own unique personality to serve the good news of Jesus? Are you working and struggling so hard? Are you depending on Christ's mighty power 
Or are you trying to do it on your own? I wouldn't still be a pastor after 25 years if I was doing this on my own. I've just had too many things that wouldn't make it worth it. Like, I don't do this for the paycheck. I don't do this for the prestige or status. There's nothing that's like humanly that awesome about being a pastor. I do this. I'm not trying to complain, by the way. <laughs> not trying to complain. But what I'm saying is, why would you do this unless it was meaningful? Why would any of us do this? And if I was doing it in my own strength and my own power, I would have been gone a long time ago. I see pastors come and go. I see how rarely pastors last for any length of time. It's not just pastors, and I'm not trying to elevate myself. I see how easy it is for any of us, when we volunteer, when we serve in the church, to just say, well, that's too hard. I'm getting out of this. I don't need this kind of stress in my life. The moment that we step up in some sphere of our influence in the world, we stand up and we say something for Christ, you know what, I'm getting flack for that, or I'm not supposed to do that, I'm not allowed to say that. I'm just going to back away from that. Rather than lean into power of Christ within us. Rather than lean into what he's called us to do in sharing the good news in our own way. And so, can you say, I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Not to earn Christ's approval, but just because it's out of our love for him that we have to make him known. So, I am participating in the sufferings of Christ Christ lives in you. Christ lives in me. And I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. Would we be able to say in moments such as that, even still, God is so good. God is so good. And the last song that I've chosen to close our service today says, and should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember that your life and now my life following yours is shaped by what happened at Calvary. So we're going to sing about God being good. And we're going to commit ourselves to him. And I pray that you would take hold of the life of Christ, including when that brings suffering. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you lead us into life out of the way of death, out of the clutches of sin and death. You lead us into something so much better, so much more alive and good. And yet, because your life was shaped by suffering and included that sacrificial giving for the sake of others, our life also must include that in moments and times. We pray that that wouldn't be forever. We pray that those would be seasons and not our story. But nevertheless, we pray that through it, you would grow us and grow others into your likeness. That you would use those moments to build your church, to shape us as people, to allow your purposes and your life to be seen through all of that. Jesus, would your good news be evident in our lives because we've committed ourselves to following your calling upon us. And would your goodness be evident in the world because we as your church show your loving kindness through whatever circumstances may come. Jesus, may we know the hope of that glorious secret 
the assurance that your presence within us, Christ in us, is enough. And that's our hope of glory. We pray in Jesus' name.